0: There is extremely limited information specific to females in sport. We need to change the culture so that we actually value pregnancy in elite sport.
1: Welcome to the Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. A new study out of the University of Alberta highlights the need for greater support for athletes who become pregnant. One of the participants of the study, two-time Olympian Hilary Stellingworth, knows this firsthand. She was instrumental in creating policy change at Athletics Canada after she lost her sport funding following the birth of her first child. Now retired from elite running, Hillary coaches at the University of Victoria and continues to advocate for greater pregnancy and parental support for athletes. In this episode, I speak with Hillary as well as the two authors of this study, Dr. Margie Davenport and Dr. Tara Lee McHugh. And just a note before we get started, in this episode you'll hear my guest talk about carding. For those that don't know, carding is the term used for the financial support provided to many elite Canadian athletes by Sport Canada. Sport Canada is the branch of the federal government responsible for programs and policies related to sport in our country, and it's the umbrella that oversees our national sport organizations such as Athletics Canada. Hey Hillary, thanks so much for joining us this week on the Shakeout podcast. I know that this topic has been really important to you for a long time, and we're so glad that you can join us to talk about it. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you covering this topic as well.
1: We'll get into all of this, but we were just chatting before the recording started about how little coverage this topic has had in the past of women coming back from pregnancy and childbirth and returning to running So let's start with your experience going back about seven years now to when you were an Olympic runner coming back to sport after your first pregnancy.
2: Yeah, so I um, ran in the 2012 Olympics and then decided to have a baby in 2013, 14. I I got pregnant in 2014. Um, So, you know, that was a conscious decision to take a step back and start a family with my husband, Trent. And, um, after, so I was carted during that pregnancy year and then rushed back after having Teo to start competing, start training and competing and got injured, uh, within six months at least of, of having Teo. And, um, so I didn't make Pan Ams that year, which is what I was gunning for. And part of the requirement to, to get funding again is to make teams and to run certain times. And unfortunately, my season was cut short that year in about June from a stress fracture. And so when I went to apply for carding an injury card again, I was rejected saying I wasn't eligible for an injury card because I had used my injury card or medical card for pregnancy. And the way that athletics worked at the time is that you could only have one injury card per career. And so my check was pregnancy. So I pushed back and appealed directly to Athletics Canada and said that this is unfair because it's not equitable across male and female athletes. And they said, well, that you, you knew the policy before you got pregnant, so you should have appealed then, which was laughable, um, because you don't plan to get injured.
1: Yeah, and, and can I ask, is that true? Was that true, Hillary? Did you know about this policy before pregnancy, or was it a surprise for you?
2: I didn't, but I don't think I went and like, looked either. So yeah, it's not something that I thought would be um, a problem between pregnancy and injury. And and it is a bit complicated, I have to say, because the injury, illness, and pregnancy umbrella is a Sport Canada situation. So that Sport Canada defines that under the same umbrella, and then the sports can go on and define their own policies. So not every sport says you can only have a medical card once in your career. Some allow you to have multiple, but Athletics Canada at the time only allowed one, And so that's where it got to be complicated because Athletics Canada was saying, well, this is a Sport Canada issue. You need to appeal Sport Canada. And Sport Canada was saying, well, it's up to the sport to determine the policy. So I was caught in the middle. So I decided, okay, well, I'm going to take it up the chain. And I went to SDRCC. And I was able to choose a human rights lawyer to defend me in my case. And they decided, yes, of course, this is a very um, valid argument. And so took it all the way up. It was super stressful, not fun to be in a karting battle in the middle of getting ready for the Olympic Games. And so I won the battle, (laughs) so to speak, with the SDRCC case in that they ruled I should be eligible to receive a second medical card. Unfortunately, Athletics Canada still decided not to card me at that time because they didn't believe I could get back to the level pre-pregnancy, which was making an Olympics, And so I always say I won the war in that we won the change or the ruling, but I didn't win my own battle of being able to get funding. But that's okay because for the greater purpose of what we were trying to do, um, it made some changes and I ended up getting retroactive karting because I made the Olympic team. Uh, So I think there were some good, a lot of good things to come out of that.
1: And just for our audience, the SDRCC is the Sport Dispute Resolution Centre of Canada, and they provide tools and information to help prevent and resolve disputes at the highest levels of Canadian sports systems. So you appealed to the SDRCC after your unsuccessful appeal to Athletics Canada's decision not to card you the second time because your pregnancy had been counted as an injury card, and that appeal was successful. But what did that mean in terms of, um, as you put it, winning the war. Like, did that lead to direct policy change within Athletics Canada?
2: Yes, it did. So what they agreed with, and, and I don't know if it was strategic on their point. I, I sometimes look back and, and think, okay, well, did they want me to put it to SDRCC so that it would create change? Because they knew that within their own, you know, policies that they couldn't do much and it was, you know, a bigger thing. So, yes, it did. What Athletics Canada did was they changed their policy so that you could get a pregnancy card or a medical card for the reason of pregnancy as a secondary second card um, after an injury. So it was separated and you can also receive it up to 18 months. So there was a significant change for sure.
1: Right. So you ended up qualifying for that 2016 Rio Olympic team, despite Athletics Canada's lack of belief that you are capable of doing so, coming back from your pregnancy and your subsequent injury. And as you mentioned, these appeals and these policy fights are just not things that athletes want to be distracted by, right? When they're in the middle of intense training and competition ahead of an Olympic Games. And I would imagine, especially for you, you had that added pressure of raising a very young child, So what was the impact of all of that on you as an athlete and as a person? And I'm wondering things, I'm wondering about things like your financial situation, your physical health, your mental health, the impact this might have had on your young family.
2: Yeah, it was extremely stressful. It's extremely stressful already in the first few months after having a baby and coming, you know, and then thinking about, I have to get back and start training. And so looking back, I wish I, wasn't so rushed because I now have a second child, and at that time I had retired from running, and so could take my time to come back. And I just think about my mental health and how different it was at the time. And you know, Teo, uh, our oldest, is is great, and he was super adaptable, and he came on training camps, and he was fine with me running out the door. But I think, my goodness, I was like five weeks from a C section, and I was already on the treadmill. Trying to train and asking, you know, trying to find babysitters or having my husband Trent doing, you know, bottle feeding so that I could run out the door after three hours of sleep just to get some training in. And I was so rushed. I just felt this like intense feeling like I need to get back because I need to start my job again. And it isn't the same in in every job. And I know sport is a privilege. Like I understand that, you know, we are in a a wonderful situation being able to be professional athletes and represent Canada. And I'm grateful for that, but it wasn't an ideal scenario to come right out of pregnancy for my performance, for, you know, me as a mother. And then, you know, for, for long-term it worked out, but it's not ideal.
1: So you said that this was ultimately framed as a human rights fight and in so many other industries in Canada There are laws mandating parental leave and maternity support, often through employment insurance, on the basis that those things are human rights. Why do you think that sport is the exception to this? And what did it mean for you to make this a human rights fight?
2: I think it was really important to make it a human rights fight. And I'm not the first person to bring this up. I mean, Anne Peel brought this up when pregnancy wasn't even a part of carding. So um, this isn't a new fight, but I think it's a very, very important one, especially in the country that we live in, in the social system that we have, where it is across many industries that you have um, maternity or paternal leave and because we our bodies are our jobs, meaning that you know we're looking for high performance from um, physical activity, I think that it becomes a challenge. Previously, maybe it was thought, well, once you had a baby, you were done, so there no there doesn't need to be um, carding or support for post pregnancy. But that is so different now. You see so many women coming back from pregnancy and kicking butt. Like they are running fast, right? And it's it's and sometimes better. Like look at Melinda Elmore, how well she's been doing post-pregnancy at the age of 41. So we can see how well women are doing. And I think that it's important to support it. It's important to have equity across male and female um, sport and policy. So it would be interesting to look at other industries, like you said, where it's physical activity. So what do they do in firefighting? for, you know, women coming back at a pregnancy or police or RCMP. Like I haven't looked into that, but it would be interesting to see what policies they have and how quickly they're expected to come back or not.
1: Right. How do you think that the lack of pregnancy or postpartum support affects the gender gaps in sport?
2: Yeah, I think that Unfortunately, it just it puts women further behind or feeling like you're playing catch up if you don't feel like you're getting the support. There are already gaps in um, prize money and funding and opportunity in our sport. And again, I, I don't I know that sport is a privilege, and I know there are other professions out there that are so so valid that I don't want to come across like self-righteous or or whatnot i just am looking for equity across our sport and there are gaps um, in earning potential and sponsorship and so many other ways so let's not um, create more gaps i think we need to bridge those gaps and having that funding support where we can where we have that opportunity why not take that opportunity to show we're valuing men and women in sport equally (laughs)
1: So one of the ways that elite athletes are funded is through Sport Canada Karting, but we also rely on, you know, things like sponsorships and and brand partnerships. And there have been several public battles over the last several years with female runners calling out major brands for things like contract reductions when they get pregnant. I'm wondering if you can speak to this reality as well, because I feel like it really illustrates the bigger picture here that there is like a systematic or systemic discrimination against female athletes who become parents that goes beyond Sport Canada and beyond our national sport organization.
2: Yeah, I think on a global scale, that is where the issues lie is in the sponsorship and and support from sponsors. I think in Canada, we're really lucky that we do have kind of a backup of carding to support us because our you know, US counterparts do not have that system. And so they are relying fully on their sponsorships. And people like Alicia Montano and Allison Felix have spoken really strongly out about that and the reduction clauses. And I think that that's something, it's a tough one, because of course, you know, you're, you're looking at times or these companies are looking at times for you to, to make, but it, it is the reality that if you want to support women in sport, and they want you know, they're going to have babies and come back, that you have to give them that space and that time. I was really lucky. I was sponsored by New Balance at the time, and I they supported me throughout my pregnancy and and continued my contract. And I had been with them a long time, and I was worried that I had to prove myself during pregnancy, almost make myself relevant. So I was suggesting, you know, writing articles for their website, or what could I do? And I was almost like, I need to be relevant. I need to do something because I'm not performing and they were open to that, but they you know, also didn't ask me to do it and say, you need to do that if you're not competing. So I was so, so lucky because I know of other brands that haven't um, been as uh, understanding or, or supportive. And I think that that's a very unfortunate and scary situation because a lot of women don't even want to tell their managers or their shoe companies that they're pregnant or wait until a certain time in their contract so that they'll get renewed and... That's a very scary situation to be in and stressful.
1: Yeah. You talked about how many women are proving wrong this myth that when you get pregnant and have a child, either your career is done um, and you're, or you're not able to be as successful or as fast again. And you're an example of sort of that myth busting, especially with your 2016 Olympic experience. You are now a coach with the University of Victoria and you work with a lot of young female athletes. And I'm wondering what you're hoping to impart on them with this
0: work.
2: Yeah, I, I really try to um, have an autonomy-based coaching approach. So I want my athletes to be involved in having a say on you know what works for them in training and what you know where they want to race and what they see as their goals long term. I want that to be them owning that, not me and. Part of that is also, like, treating your body right so that you can stay in the sport for a long time, regardless of what level that might be and, and where, you know, they endeavor to be at. So I, I really promote healthy sport, long-term approach, and then standing up for equity in sport and, you know, I, like I... As an example, I watched, and I don't know the backstory of this, but I watched World Indoors this year, and the women's 3K was the only one that went, had only a final, and the men had a semi and a final. And so we're still seeing that there's not equity among numbers in, in sport. And so, I just really try to promote to our athletes, men and women, to stand up for stuff that you see and stand up for equity across the sport um, at all levels. And I think that's important for them to have a voice. Uh, this generation is very vocal and um, really brave to to be able to stand up for themselves. And I think that's great.
1: Yeah, and yet so much of that, Hillary, comes on the heels of the work that you did at a time when that wasn't as easy or as popular, right? And then you mentioned Anne Peel, a Canadian race walker who advocated for these same issues back in the 1980s and 90s when she was still competing. It's, it's neat to see these building blocks and that sort of cascading effect of how change making comes about. Because I think it's really easy to see it once the policy changes and like once the numbers and the support change. But sometimes we neglect the backstory and all the work that's done for years to make those changes possible. So I, I really applaud you for that. So after that 2016 fight, Athletics Canada did change its policy, as you mentioned, to allow for a medical card to be separate from a pregnancy card or to allow for both. And I believe that it was at this time that AC also stopped using the term injury card and replaced it with health card. And they updated their policies, which now state that athletes may be nominated for health card status due to pregnancy more than once. However, as of 2020, the Sport Canada policy and procedure for the athlete assistance program still lumps pregnancy together in that umbrella of injury and illness. Given that Sport Canada is so influential for sport in this country, I'm wondering what changes you would like to see moving forward. Like, obviously, we've made some progress, but what are some of the big gaps that remain and what further progress do you think is necessary?
2: I think it's really important that Sport Canada take a stand because right now it's left up to interpretation from each sport or to the decision of each sport that they have to decide between carding healthy competing athletes or, you know, supporting athletes on the sideline, so to speak, who might be pregnant or, um, injured. And, and so that's a tough choice when there's only so much money to go around. So, if Sport Canada took a stand and separated a pregnancy card, I think that that would be really powerful because it would then make sure that all sports had to follow suit instead of just leaving it up to the sports to decide. I also think we could be a bit more creative with the way that we do it, and I, I don't know all the logistics of, um, you know, employment insurance and how that works, but you know, every other industry, like you mentioned, pays into employment insurance and. I know that athletes could pay into it, but perhaps there needs to be a better structure where we do away with all injury cards, put that money into a pot that is employment insurance that athletes could then tap into as injury or pregnancy or EI, just like anybody else who wants to take a leave from their sport or their job or whatever. You know, I think we need to model what we already do in policy. And, and maybe I, I don't know the logistics of that. I'm not a policymaker, but we need to think more creatively.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm wondering as an elite runner who has come back from two pregnancies to continue running, what you would say to other runners who are pregnant and are either nervous about continuing to train throughout their pregnancies or are trying to navigate the return to running postpartum?
2: Yeah, I think that there's a lot more known now than previously about being able to train, um, during pregnancy. And I, I do think it's important to listen to your body. Everyone is different. Every pregnancy is different. My two pregnancies were so, so different. And, um, I had to listen to my body, but you, you can do what you were doing before, but at a lower intensity. So I, what I always tell athletes that come to me is, you know, just, look at your heart rate, stay at that threshold heart rate, don't go too hard, but you can run, like, it's so enjoyable to be able to be active, and it's good for the baby, and it's good for you, it's coming back from pregnancy that you, you know, you also have to be careful of, because your body, whatever your body went through, and it can be anything, you know, they spend so much time on the birth, but the post-pregnancy, or, you know, post-birth is, It can be traumatic and can take a long time to heal. And so don't be in a rush, enjoy your baby, enjoy your time. And then, you know, I am amazed at how quickly the body does come back once you've given it time to rest. Like I felt like a high school kid again, coming back from pregnancy, I was getting PBs, personal bests every week in my tempo runs and my workouts because I had had a whole year of, you know, less intensity and away from racing and You know, I don't think we ever get a chance to do that as elite athletes because we're from one season to the next and chasing times and everything, and it can be mentally draining. And so physical and mental break that I got during pregnancy where I still was training but not at the same level and for different reasons, um, then I was super excited to come back um, once I, you know, got started sleeping again and everything, so...
1: And we're going to be talking about a lot of the things you just mentioned in my conversation with Tara Lee McHugh and Margie Davenport, the authors of this study. But as we wrap up, what do you think the greatest impact is of this type of research and the type of study that you contributed to?
2: All of these researchers have been really impactful in pushing policy, but also um, trying to delve into the stories of many women, female athletes coming back in, in different um, situations. So. I was really interested in speaking to them specifically because they were very focused on policy change, not just finding the stories and putting it in a published journal. They were very, very focused on talking to Sport Canada and talking to policymakers about what changes could be made. And um, and so that was exciting for me to to share my story and to hopefully make an impact.
1: Hillary, thank you so much for sharing your voice with us for this episode, and we wish you and the University of Victoria Vikings all the best this weekend at the U-Sport Championships. Good luck and thanks again.
2: Thanks, Kate. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Next, I spoke with the authors of this study, Dr. Margie Davenport and Dr. Tara McHugh. Margie is an associate professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology, Sport and Recreation at the University of Alberta, and also currently holds the Christensen Professorship in Active Healthy Living. As a former national team athlete, her recent work has examined elite sport participation during pregnancy and return to sport following delivery. Tara is a professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology, Sport, and Rec at the University of Alberta, and her program of research is broadly focused on exploring the psychosocial factors that can enhance the sport, physical activity, and body image experience of those who have been typically underrepresented in research. Hi, Margie. Hi, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us today on the ShakeOut Podcast. Thanks for having us here. It's great to be here. So let's start by getting to know you both a little better. Can you give us your background as researchers and tell us a little bit more about your work, Margie?
0: I'm an associate professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology, Sport and Recreation at the University of Alberta. I run the program for pregnancy and postpartum health, which is dedicated to better understanding uh, the impact of physical activity and exercise on the health of pregnant and postpartum women and their children. I was also the uh, chair of the 2019 Canadian Guideline for physical activity throughout pregnancy, um, which identified athletes as a key knowledge gap. Uh, We don't know very much about uh, the the adaptations that occur in uh, exercise for elite athletes. So that's part of what led us to uh, today. Hi, yeah, my name
3: is Terry McHugh, and I'm a professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology, Sport and Recreation, also at the University of Alberta. I guess in the broadest sense, my research is focused on trying to enhance the sport, physical activity and body image experiences primarily of uh, women and girls, but also working with youth as well. And, um, you know, much of my research is focused on trying to ensure uh, that our research is being applied and making positive impacts in terms of policy, in terms of practice and, A lot of my work is focused more on trying to understand those psychosocial experiences, whereas I'm not speaking for Margie, but hers would be more in the physiological sense. So the two of us coming together, I think, is a really great pair in terms of this work.
1: And do you both come from sport backgrounds yourselves?
0: Yeah, so I'm a former national team athlete. I was a synchronized swimmer uh, on the national team for five years. And so I have a longstanding interest in elite sport.
3: And uh, I competed, certainly not at the same level, but I competed uh, in sprint kayaking, canoeing uh, throughout my youth and into my early 20s and competed at national championships, but not on a national team per se. And uh, now the mother of children who are competing at uh, relatively elite levels. So lots of interest from different areas.
1: So Margie, what compelled you and Tara to embark on this research? What was the reason for conducting this type of study now?
0: So back in... 2015-2016, the uh, International Olympic Committee came out with new guidelines uh, for elite athletes during pregnancy and the postpartum period. And they strongly identified at that point in time that there was very limited information about high-level athletes or even recreational athletes, to be frank. And so as a former national team athlete, I've been quite interested on the impact of long duration, um, high volume, high intensity activity in pregnancy and postpartum for quite a long time. But back in uh, 2019, Allison Felix published this really powerful opinion piece uh, in the New York Times talking about her struggle to get maternity benefits from her sponsor. you know, she was one of the most decorated and is the most decorated uh, female athlete, high profile uh, athlete in the world. And she struggled. And so after reading that article, Tara and I had the opportunity to just sit down one day and start talking about this key issue. And uh, really this entire project stemmed from a very fun, relaxed conversation in Tara's office uh, when we were originally starting to talk about a completely different project. And so it's really um, been an exciting couple of years.
1: And Tara, maybe you can take us through the parameters of the study and what it all entailed.
3: For sure. Yeah. I mean, Margie hit it spot on in terms of how it kind of came about and where we began Um, I think that it was in terms of the relaxed conversation and the excitement I was doing work in and around, uh, you know, gender equity in sport and, and, you know, more broadly and not specifically focused on elite level athletes at that point, but I, I would say that's where it kind of came from, and, and me thinking, "Oh, this is really interesting." When I'm hearing these news, these pieces in the news that Margie was talking about, and me not having that kind of expertise in terms of the the physiological components of what women should and shouldn't be doing in terms of you know exercising while pregnancy. So our, our two brains came together for that, and we knew at that time we wanted to focus on working with elite level athletes, um, recognizing that they would have been through. All of the the different levels of sport from developmental, uh, you know, right up into those elite levels. So, we wanted to hear those experiences and recognizing that they would be able to draw on their experiences throughout the supports or the sports system. And so that was what our our kind of criteria was in terms of elite athletes. We focused specifically on women. We know that, uh, you know, other athletes have voiced around parental concerns or parental related issues. So um, but we wanted to focus specifically on women athletes, recognizing that their voices have been underrepresented in the sport literature. So that's where it started.
0: So we recruited uh, 20 elite level athletes to participate in interviews. Half of them had been to the Olympics, um, but all had competed at the highest level of their sport. Um, I can't speak to specific uh, sports because uh, we, we do keep our athletes very anonymized, um, but it was a, a pretty even split between individual and team sports, uh, also between a summer and winter sports as well. We interviewed them, asked them about their experiences during pregnancy and in the postpartum period. Uh, So this particular paper that came out in the British Journal of Sports Medicine is the first in a series of papers trying to better understand female athletes' experiences of pregnancy and the postpartum period so that we can really identify key policies that can support future uh, athletes who do want to get pregnant or become parents uh, while they're training at high levels.
1: So you published the study last year in 2021. Why do you think there's been so little research and focused study on this area, given all the other advancements we've made around gender equity and so many other industries and aspects of our society? Tara, why do you think it's taken so long? Um, And what do you think some of the reasons are for the delay in having these kinds of conversations in sport?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I I think there's been a delay in a lot of equity areas in sport. And, you know, we've seen um, a lot of good noise over the last few years, I would say, not just in terms of gender equity, but in terms of, um, you know, equity for many underrepresented groups. And I really don't have a a sense. I I think, you know, we're seeing a lot more, which I think in, in a positive way, even in terms of media highlighting, you know, those athletes who are what we're calling the trailblazers and those athletes who are out there and, you know, taking a stand and saying they do have rights as athletes or they should have it and they should have the support. And that's been really helpful. I think my fear a little bit is that as things like the Olympics roll by, so we were fortunate, well, fortunate, not fortunate, but we had two Olympics right in a row there. And so there was a lot of attention over the last, you know, year and a half um, because sports just central in terms of the media, in terms of what's happening. And so there is a platform. I get a little worried that once we get past these, these main events that, you know, there's not as much attention and the focus maybe goes away. So it's, how do we keep that? I don't want to say hype. Cause it's not a fad, but how do we keep that at the forefront so that it isn't, you know, falling to the wayside for another couple of years until we have another Olympics and we have women who are facing, you know, similar challenges because these challenges aren't going away. They're still training and trying to compete at that level, you know, during and in between the Olympics. So, Why it's not here, I don't know. And I find it really interesting because we have these conversations with, you know, different stakeholders. And they're like, I actually can't believe it. We don't have a policy in place. There's nothing there. So some people are very surprised when we say this. Um, And, you know, and when the athletes, when their voices are highlighting these concerns and the issues that, you know, that they're facing, there's genuine surprise by some people. I don't think it's as widely known um, by people who aren't in 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 the moment trying to experience that. All right,
1: so let's get into the key findings of this study. Margie, what are the primary takeaways that you would like to highlight for our audience?
0: The key take-home that we found is that our um, participants, our athletes, identified some really key changes that can be made and implemented pretty much right away. So organizations, just by having really clear maternity leave policies, having really clear policies about the implications of becoming pregnant, stepping away potentially from sport for six months or a year, what will happen to them is really important when athletes are trying to make decisions after the Olympics. Are they going to get pregnant in this quadrennial or are they going to hold out and uh, wait another time? From that perspective, um, providing... Really clear policies is absolutely critical, easy to implement right away. Um, we also know that it's important to try and develop more supportive uh, environments for pregnant athletes. Uh, We need to change the culture so that we actually value pregnancy in elite sports. Um, We know that women are competing now at a very high level into their late 30s. The the Winter Olympics highlighted incredible women um, who, you know, 10 years ago, you would have thought that they were no longer able to compete at that high level and they're winning gold medals. Uh, From other perspectives, from a research perspective, we have a long way to go. You know, it's only been since the 1990s that women have been mandated to be included in clinical trials. Uh, Sport research is way behind that. There was a recent study which demonstrated that there is extremely limited information specific to females in sport and pregnancy as well behind that as well. Um, We have a lot of work to do from that perspective.
1: Right. And so based on those findings, Tara, what are some of the main recommendations that you have for sport governing bodies about how to take this information you've provided them with now and to move forward to create a more equitable sporting landscape
3: for sure i think there are a few things like margie indicated that can be done immediately you know policymakers or i think from sport canada and you know national sport organizations when they're making their policies they want evidence And this is what's so important for us is that this research, these voices of athletes have been published in, you know, a top journal. This is evidence. So we have support there or or the, you know, the evidence there to support decisions that can be made around policy. So things like, you know, very clear kind of maternity leaves and parental leaves for our athletes where not just the leaves, but the funding to support it. Because that is a concern voiced by many of the athletes in terms of what's going to happen in terms of their funding support and what that's going to look like in terms of their carding other, you know, really clear um, policies that could be made around um, qualification procedures. So if an athlete has to, you know, miss an event or, you know, a qualifying competition because they are pregnant, for example, what does that mean in terms of their either position on the team or their qualification for these larger? So indeed, some of these would be beyond Sport Canada, maybe at more international organization levels in terms of what the qualification looks like. And then as well as rankings. So we've seen that where athletes are very concerned, you know, if they're ranked at a certain level and then again have to take a leave because of pregnancy, then what does that do? So I think there is enough there now where, you know, very clear policies can be made so that these athletes aren't you know, experiencing any equity related issues related to, um, you know, their rights of pregnancy. So there, I think we also though, so there's some things that can be done now, but then as Margie indicated, we need a lot more research and this is the call for researchers. And I think we are seeing more movement in terms of, you know, you know, safe guidelines for return to sport for athletes at this level and those sorts of things. So we do need more research but it's a we wanna focus on what can be done now, because um again, I fear that you know, for like oh, more research is needed here, but there's enough research for us to make some other changes here.
1: Okay, so there's a big issue around funding and financial support as you mentioned, and also um around how athletes approach getting pregnant and then navigate their postpartum period and their return to sport, and Hillary spoke, you know, firsthand about a lot of this from her own experience. But there's also this layer in your research about clarifying what is safe for runners both in terms of going into and coming out of pregnancy what are some of the myths that you think are important to dispel for runners? So even if you're not an elite athlete, but you're, you know, an avid runner, you've been running for a long time, you may still have some hesitancy and questions around, you know, like, how do I adjust my training? And is it okay for me to keep training at a, a fairly high level throughout my, throughout my pregnancy? Understanding that each person and each pregnancy will be different. What advice would you offer for runners?
0: So in pregnancy, there are an incredible number of myths and persisting uh, taboos that unfortunately, even with significant amounts of research, we really have trouble combating Uh, a couple of examples uh, back in 1985, when the first guidelines for physical activity during pregnancy were released uh, by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, they recommended that women should not go above a heart rate of 140 beats per minute. This persisted into my second pregnancy back in 2014, where I was told that I shouldn't be exercising above that level. And yet we've had 30 years of research or more, um, which has established that you can actually substantially exceed 140 minute beats per minute and still be okay. Other myths are that um, exercise increases the risk of having a miscarriage. Um, There was a very large study that was published a number of years ago, um, where it demonstrated that there was a high risk of having a miscarriage if you engaged in very high uh, intensity, long duration activity. Uh, A couple of years later, they actually limited it to specifically uh, those individuals who were interviewed about their levels of physical activity before they had miscarried. And they found that after that, uh, that there was no relationship. And yet there's this persisting myth again. We have a lot more uh, knowledge translation that we really do need to do, we have to take the evidence that we do have right now, and translate it and get it to the hands of uh, the runners so that they know what they can and can't do. One of the big questions that remains outstanding is what is the impact of high intensity activity and very long duration activity during pregnancy so going you know above that 70 80% of maximal heart rate and going for longer than 60 minutes uh, at a time and we have relatively limited information at this point in time um, we're we're in my lab we're doing two studies that are trying to specifically address this so hopefully we'll have better information in the next year and at this point in time what we do recommend is that you speak to somebody, a healthcare provider who has some expertise in the area to help guide these uh, women who do wish to continue to do higher intensity and longer duration activity over the longer term.
1: One of the things I heard you say earlier, Margie, is that we need to start normalizing and valuing pregnancy. And when it comes to that idea of normalizing. You know, Hillary and I talked about how pregnancy is still considered by Sport Canada to fall under that umbrella of injury and illness. What do you think some of the consequences are of labeling pregnancy as an injury or an illness at the elite level and then by extension in our society, perhaps more broadly?
0: So before we actually started this project, Tara and I did a systematic review and meta-analysis looking at the impact of engaging in elite sport while you're pregnant and in return to sport in the postpartum period after childbirth. And what we found is that in the postpartum period, there's actually increased risk of having injuries following delivery. But we also found that many individuals were returning to sport before six weeks uh, postpartum. So that's really quite early in the postpartum period, considering all of the physiological changes and adaptations that happen during pregnancy with delivery and then also in the early postpartum period. And so we know that without having an appropriate uh, return to sp- running or return to sport protocol in the postpartum period, these athletes are at increased risk for having injuries. And so if you have one injury or pregnancy card that's available to you over the lifespan of your career, and you take it up with pregnancy, what happens when you're injured in the postpartum period, which is unfortunately at higher likelihood, if you don't have those appropriate sports to be able to return to sports safely and effectively.
3: I was just thinking even just from a, uh, you know, a cultural and a societal context as well. And just our understandings, you know, people have a generally strong idea of what, you know, it means to be injured. And, you know, and I think just the 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 dialogue or the discourse that happens in the underlying assumptions we carry with when we say something like an injury, right? And I think that's problematic in itself. Um, you know, so so just the, the context that, it, that surrounds that term is problematic. And, you know, in other domains, we don't do that. We don't lump those two things together. Margie provided a very strong justification for why it shouldn't. And I think um, that in itself, if we can separate those two, they are two different things when we're talking about, um, you know, just so, like I said, so broader society can have an understanding of what we mean, what it means to be a pregnant athlete is not an injured athlete. And I think that's, that's critical for how we move. Yeah. How we move forward.
1: Was there anything that came out of this research that really surprised you?
0: I think the surprising thing for me is that in 2021 when we were doing these interviews that these women and athletes are still experiencing this i find that rather shocking um you know Tara and I are both academics 20 years ago you know our supervisors and our predecessors they were avoiding getting pregnant until they had tenure because they feared the repercussions and it really sort of strikes home with me that these athletes are basically engaging in the exact same issues 20 years later. And it's completely wrong. We need to find a way to better support our women athletes. When I was on the national team, I retired at 25 because I thought I was old and I didn't have a career beyond that. I would have stayed an athlete forever, but it wasn't an option for me. And now it's becoming an option. When we look to, I have two daughters, they're seven and nine. They were watching the Olympics and they were so excited. They wanted to do probably five different sports, whatever they were watching that day, but they were so excited to do it and to tell them that they have an expiry date in terms of when they can be a high level athlete. I think it's just wrong and we need to fix this.
1: So one of the things that I found really surprising in reading through this study was that anecdotally, some of the athletes mentioned that their sport doctors and their support teams just expected that, that they, the athletes would know how to adapt their training or like basically navigate the entire journey of pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum on their own. And as you mentioned earlier about American track star Allison Felix, like if someone as successful as her is having a hard time navigating all of this, including the financial piece, you know, like how is anyone else expected to be able to do it? Never mind just elites, but but runners of all levels.
3: Yeah, I I think um, when we're looking at in terms of the impacts of this research and the sharing of these experiences by these athletes, I am, you know, of the mindset that this impacts you know women it it, it impacts all athletes across all levels of sport I think of you know similar to Margie I have a, a 12 year old daughter a 14 year old daughter and you know they need to see it to to know that they fit there right in terms of sport but I also think in terms of my my 10 year old son you know it's important for him to be able to see that women are competing across all levels of sport at all levels so you know I stand by that this is for everybody as well as, um, you know, across all the domains of sport or all the, the levels of sport. Certainly, this was focused on elite athletes. This is not an elite athlete issue. And, you know, and I, I hate using the word issue alongside pregnancy. Pregnancy is not the issue. The issue is that there's very little support, right, in terms of our athletes going forward. So, um, you know, in terms of the impacts that this has, and, and to me, it impacts all levels of sport. It, incre- it impacts all athletes, um, regardless of gender, as we go forward in terms of you know, sport is for everyone, and you know when we look across and we look at Sport Canada, our our, our new minister just came on uh, and and restated uh, the goal to have gender equity in sport by 2035. You know, and I'm and, and to me, I'm like, oh my goodness, 2035. You know, when we're looking at the time, you know, it just seems that there's so many things that we could be doing now immediately that we could beat that target. But it it can't just fall on the shoulders of these few athletes that are, you know, going to the media and making their stories known because there's so many other people that this impacts.
1: Well, on that note, then, what further steps would you both like to see taken to continue ensuring that this progress is made and that we're continuing to work towards a fair, safe and equitable sporting landscape in Canada?
0: I would like to see moving forward some really clear policies for parental leave uh, for athletes. I want them to have very clear policies in terms of what the implications of pregnancy is going to have on their sporting career. If they have to miss events or competitions, um, where they're going to stand in terms of staying on a particular team or returning at a certain level uh, in their sport. I think it's necessary to uh, have really clear policies on that side of things. I would also love to see athletes have really clear policies in terms of uh, financial supports Uh, right now if they're not carded um, and they become pregnant or they lose their carding, uh, they have no financial support. um, In virtually every other occupation uh, across Canada, you have access to uh, EI. And so having some sort of um, set and uh, known uh, financial support, I think is really, really important I would
3: like to have a sit down uh, with our current minister of sports, uh, Minister saint to have very clear um, recommendations of what could be done from their office immediately. And so I we see it, we've had national sport organizations reach out to us and, and and they have because there's interest because they have athletes that they are trying to support. And I do appreciate uh, all the efforts that are happening, any of the efforts that are happening from some of these national sport organizations. But in my mind, you know, if it needs to be a directive, we need to have it. So Sport Canada is saying for all of those national sport organizations that we're funding, this must be in place, similar to what we've done with different safe sport policies over the last couple of years and the progress that we've made. So if I had one, uh, you know, wish that came true after all of this, it would be to get that sit down and to be like, you know, here's the evidence, here's what can be done today to
0: support our athletes in Canada. I think one thing that we didn't highlight, you know, we talk a lot about how the policies are not that great. But part of the reason is that um, many organizations simply haven't had an athlete who has become pregnant or tried to return in the postpartum period before. And so often they just haven't thought about it before. It's not on their radar. And so you suddenly have an athlete who has become pregnant and they don't know what to do at that point in time. It's such a rapid process um, that they're scrambling. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is to develop these exemplars, develop you know, specific recommendations that organizations can take away and implement so that when their first athlete does become pregnant or they have future athletes who are pregnant, they have appropriate supports in place,
1: yeah, that's such a great point. And, like you've said, you know so many times the policy follows the problem, and the problem unfortunately often has to persist for a long time before the policy changes. So I think what you're, Proposing goes back to so much of what you were saying before about valuing pregnancy and sport. Dr. Margie Davenport, Dr. Tara McHugh, thank you both so much for joining us on the ShakeOut podcast this week, and we wish you the very best of luck in your future work.
3: Thank you so much for having us here and providing us with another platform to share these powerful voices of the athletes who participated in our work.
1: You can find a link to the study mentioned in this episode by visiting our show notes. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Podcast. Subscribe to our show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're enjoying our content, please consider leaving us a review. It really helps to get the word out about this show. As always, check out runningmagazine.ca for all the latest results, news, training and gear tips, and so much more. Thanks for tuning in this week. Run safe and healthy, and we'll chat again soon.